This message is a recording from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space to practice the ways of Jesus together as the multi-ethnic family of God. Okay, well, good evening, Kaleo. Good to see you all. Uh, As always, uh, I feel like it's just fun to name the fact that there's always this reality when we gather together in the present moment that it is just this present moment and you all could be anywhere else doing anything else. Uh, that's true whenever we show up into like a corporate space together. And I think one of my favorite things about acknowledging that is that there's got to be like something, this lurking hope in, in all of us that when we show up in a place like this, that like God might meet us in some way. We might be reminded that we're loved. We might meet somebody who reminds us that we belong. We might be challenged to reorient our lives. There's like something that could happen uh, in a way that maybe other places we go and gather can't happen. And so uh, I just, I think that's fun. And so I think today's passage uh, kind of represents that really well. I even think the things that uh, Alexis has already shared and the songs that Breton has sung, like kind of match the themes that we'll find in in our passage today. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I'm going to read the whole passage. It's one of my favorite passages. So I'll get a little excited as we go uh, and, you know, we'll deal with that. And then I'll, I'll wander around in it for a bit and we'll see what happens. Does that sound good? Okay, if you want to follow along, I'm reading from the message, so it's probably not that helpful anyway. Uh, So maybe just listen. Uh, It's Luke 24, verses 13 through 35, though, if you want to be comparing it as you uh, go. Here's Here's how the story unfolds. That same day, which is Easter Sunday, uh, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all the things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? He said, what has happened? They said, the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, a dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said. But they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, So thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophet said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the book of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him. 
Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is gone. So he went in with them. And here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their friends gathered together, talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. Let's pray, and then we'll wander through that story. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, we just thank you that you are a God who is with us. We thank you that there's not a single thing we need to do to convince you to meet us here, that you are already present among us. And so we welcome you and your guiding, teaching, loving spirit to have your way with us, to reveal to us more of who you are, how much you love us, and the kind of lives you invite us to as individuals and as a community. I pray that you, God, would just speak through me, that I wouldn't say words that aren't for you and from you, that we would make much of you as we go through all of this and find ourselves at the end of our time this evening gathered around a table as well. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so to set the stage for the exploration of this passage, uh, I want to just keep in mind a few ways in which this, this passage here invites us to this I don't know, way of being with Jesus, where, where Jesus invites us to share anything and everything without fear of saying the wrong thing to him. Presence is very important to him. I want us to like rest in this image of Jesus who is happy and patient when we open ourselves to him and move with him and tell him where we're at and what we're up to. And I want us to be encouraged that this Jesus wants to be with us, wants to walk with us, and wants to make our hearts burn again. So this passage that we're in, as you can pick up as we're reading it, and it's obviously just after Easter, takes place three days after the traumatic crucifixion of Jesus and his subsequent burial. In fact, this passage is taking place the the moments after Easter morning. In the wake of rumors about an empty grave, two followers of Jesus leave town. I'd assume, actually, they probably wanted to leave closer to the crucifixion and murder of Jesus, but it seems they waited until after the Jewish Jewish Sabbath. And so it was on Easter morning that they hit the road to the village of Emmaus, probably where they had lived before. However, on their way out of Jerusalem, someone unexpectedly joins their walk, which is just hilarious, isn't it? Actually, if you think about it. Right? It's like, I, it's a detail that I feel like if you've heard the story or you're familiar with this, you can't overlook this fact. There's just two people, probably a husband and wife, Cleopas and his wife, are probably the two disciples who are leaving town to Emmaus. And this person shows up to walk with them. And so it's at this point, with all of that in mind, that I just, I want to give us all permission to awaken our imaginations to participate in this story with these two followers and with Jesus as they walk out of Jerusalem to Emmaus. All right, we're stepping back into the story. This is verse 
13, that same day, right? So it's Easter Sunday. So again, get that in your head that it's just three days prior that they watched. They were a part of this. They scrambled around. They knew that Jesus was being crucified and killed. They grieved the loss of their friend. They experienced the trauma of his arrest, his betrayal, his beatings, his death. And so they leave town and they're walking to the village of Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem, which just by itself is a really cool detail. Because like, can you, you can envision it again, right? You can envision what it's like. Maybe you're not into walking and you're not into hiking, but you can be like, I kind of have an idea of what it might be like to travel by foot for seven miles. My guess is, is it would take most of us somewhere around two and a half, three hours to make that seven mile trek. And so, again, you kind of have a frame for how this is all unfolding. And it says, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Just the two of them talking about everything that had transpired so much to talk about. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Which, if that was like the end of the story, I'm like, that is so creepy. Right? Like, even the way that Luke tells the story. They're having this conversation, and then suddenly, here's this person, which I'm like, how suddenly? Behind a bush, like, right, like creeping along behind, you know, that sense you're like looking over, like how suddenly? But he's there all of a sudden, and verse 16 says, but God kept them from recognizing him, which I love that detail too. Almost all of the post-resurrection accounts find us in this place where people are having a hard time recognizing the resurrected Jesus. And I don't know why. I have ideas about it, but I love that we don't know why. He's just hard to recognize in his resurrected form for some reason. And that's the case here as well. So verse 17, he asked them, he, right, he shows up, he's like, but hey, it's me, a stranger walking with you now. And then he's like, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? So obviously Jesus is perceptive. Maybe as he was like hiding behind that tree, he was watching how intently they were discussing something and he's interested. I love that Jesus asks this question. And isn't this just like Jesus? I'm like, this is when you'd know it was Jesus just like right out of the gate asking questions interested in their lives, interested in what they're talking about. And they stopped short when he asked this question. And sadness was written across their faces. And I think this is an important part too, right? Like what they're talking about isn't this like this buzz of the potential resurrection. They're not even there yet. They're not even like, oh yeah, Jesus is resurrected. These things are going to be great here soon. They're still sad. They're heartbroken. Again, and we've talked about this a few times over the last handful of weeks. Like They experienced the traumatic execution of their friend. Sure, they can't find his body, but they're brokenhearted. And so with sadness written on their faces, one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hadn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Which that just by itself is a pretty cool fact. That means, because we don't read a lot about this actually in the scriptures, this makes us think that there was actually quite a buzz about Jesus being crucified, being arrested, right, being beaten. There's like something going on and then word is getting out that maybe he's not 
in his grave anymore. And so he says, you're the only one who doesn't know about this. And Jesus, second thing he says is, what things? What things, Jesus asked. Again, Jesus is invested. He's already asked two questions, probing them to share what's distressing them. Why, why are they distressed? Jesus wants to know. Which maybe even if we don't take anything else away from any of this, like just know that's how Jesus approaches every single one of us. That's what Jesus is like. Anything that's distressing you, he's like, what things? Tell me. I want to hear. I want to know. And then I even think about it like, Maybe that should be more often our approach as well. Maybe a couple questions before we like insert ourselves and share our peace in a situation. And so here's how they reply. They tell him the things that happen. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. And again, don't get away from imagining yourself there because now you've got to imagine because you know some interesting facts that they don't know. They're telling Jesus these things about Jesus, right? Which is kind of cool, all right? So he says, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He's like, "Mm mm-hmm, tell me more, right? He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, yeah, uh uh-huh. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. And some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. But can you feel the disorientation in the way in which they're sharing what's transpired over the last three days? Which is actually kind of how Alexis began our whole time this evening. It's like that we're constantly living in this world in this disorientation of like the trauma of the last three days. Our friend has been crucified. We thought he was going to be the Messiah. But there's this amazing report that something might be different. Maybe something's going to change. Maybe this won't end like we feel like it's ending right now. And they're like caught in this spot. In the grand scheme of Luke's gospel, it's really interesting that this is the point in time in which the resurrected Jesus appears to somebody. A person named Cleopas and their unnamed partner. Who? Exactly, right? Exactly. The resurrected Jesus has shown up to these two people first. Their grief, the trauma of what has unfolded has not been quelled. They're leaving town, headed the other direction, away from where Jesus had been. And that's who Jesus shows up to. So situate yourself back in the story. Pay attention to what you're feeling and you're thinking as you're leaving town and you're trying to sort out, is this good, is this bad, what's happening? And someone's probing, interested, paying attention to what you're saying. And then Jesus responds, verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, which we'll get to in a second, okay? You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And and we're all like, no, it was not clearly. Like, obviously all of us are like, 
nope, that was not clear. We were scrambling. We were like, what? This thing's all over. We're here 2,000 years later, and I don't know how many times I've sat reading my Bible and been like, this thing is not clear. This is not. And so I love then if you start to think about it like that, because obviously those who spent the most time with Jesus are not like, yep, dude's resurrected. This is chill. We're off we go. They're all confused. So then if I think about that, and I think about the tone that Jesus is using here, right? They tell him, they just told him why they're so brokenhearted and wandering their way back to Emmaus, seven miles away from where all of their community that they had formed was. He's not saying, you foolish people, like the finger wagging Jesus. He's like, ah, all right, let's go for a walk type of tone, right? It's like this soon, because we're about to see how patient Jesus is with them. How intentional Jesus is with them, because verse 27 says, after Jesus says it, first he says, wasn't it clearly predicted? And they're like, no, it was not, but maybe you'll help us. He says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Which tells us a couple things. It tells us the entirety of the scriptures have always been pointing to Jesus, this Jesus right here. So if at any time you're like, hold on, what's going on here is you're reading something that's been written in the book of Moses or the prophets, the Old Testament. If, if it's not a Jesus thing, like then it's going to be transformed as it gets to the Jesus thing because it's always been pointing to Jesus, the one who would come to show us what God's always been like in the flesh. And here we see the resurrected Jesus who has now defeated death in the grave walking around just being like, well, I'll just tell you about it for seven miles. That's Jesus. So they reach the end of their journey. Apparently, it takes Jesus a couple hours or so to move through the Torah and the prophets to relate them to the suffering Messiah. And I, as one who loves studying, loves reading, loves learning, like that's the one lecture I would want to be at. Like that's the one. And then it ends with an object lesson. So here's what happens next. As they near Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. Okay, get back in the story again. This is hilarious once again, right? There's, he, first of all, he surprised them. He was the creepy stranger. He still is. I don't even know if he's told them. They don't even know who he is. Does he have a name yet? Did he introduce himself? No, he was probably just like, peace be with you. Right? And then they talked. They don't even know his name. And so they get to Emmaus, which I'm like, how do, you know, it's a small village, right? And so they get to like the edge. And they're like, well, this is our stop. And he's like, okay. And Jesus just keeps walking. Like, what? It's a, this is, Jesus is silly, y'all. He is a funny guy. He starts walking on and they begged him. No, hey, 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 stay the night with us. It's getting late. Right, we've been walking for seven miles. We've been sharing our hearts. We're learning all these things. Stay, stay with us. So he went home with them. And as good hosts that they are, because they learned from the best host, actually, they sat down to eat. In an amazing flip, Jesus becomes the host at the table. 
They'd been learning so much. They'd been paying so much attention to the way this man taught them, cared about them, listened to them, shared with them, that it says, as they sat down to eat, he, Jesus, took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. You, are, you seeing, are you experiencing that? Like, are you at the table where this is happening? All right, now let just linger for a second at the table because I'm going to pull us away. I want to unpack that little piece of it. Theologian Justo Gonzalez, he points out that the verbs in verse 30 appeared in the story of the Last Supper as well. That was just a couple chapters before this. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Those are our four, those are our four verbs, okay? Three of those verbs specifically appear in the story of the Last Supper. Luke twenty two nineteen 19 reads like this. He took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, took, given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. The second verb is practically the same in both stories. In one story, he blessed, and in the other story, he gave thanks. So these similarities make it like no doubt that the supper at Emmaus is connected with the Lord's Supper. Because what happens next in verse 31? Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Can you imagine that sensation? Again, put yourself in the whole thing, right? Three days ago, what, what transpired? You watch the powers that be brutally murder your friend, the one you thought was going to restore all hope to the people of God. Then you linger in confusion. He's dead and he's buried. Then the tomb is open and people are like, no, he's not there. Angels are saying he's out and about. You're like, oh, what are we going to do? Let's go for a walk. You walk and you sit down at this table and this moment happens where Jesus takes this bread, breaks it, gives thanks and gives it to him, and suddenly in that moment they knew who he was. And at that moment, he disappeared. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what? So now there's two people sitting at a table set for three, and they're like, what just happened? This one, it's like one of my favorite things to just let spin around in my mind, right? Certainly, this tells us these two disciples knew something of the way in which Jesus would host meals, the ways in which Je maybe they were at the Last Supper or not. I don't know. Maybe there are more people there than we were thinking before. They've seen him multiply loaves. They've seen him do this. They can't help but go, we know who does this kind of thing. But then my favorite thing to think about that is extra biblical, so this is not in the text, but it's like a way in which my imagination works too, is like think of this, right? Because over and over again, the resurrected Jesus has what? Wounds, right? He has wounds. And where does he have wounds? In his side, in his hands, and in his feet. And what does he do? He takes the bread, he breaks it. He blesses it. Boom. He gives it to them. Like undeniable 
Jesus. He's doing what Jesus always did. And this Jesus is wounded like that Jesus was. And they can see it. They can see it. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as we talked with him on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, which is nuts, right? Because why did they tell Jesus to stay with them? It was late. You can't be out there. People are dying. Can't be out there walking around. Let's hang out, slumber party here, little bread, and we'll be good. And what happens instead? What? He disappears, first of all, and then they're right back on the road, which is how many miles from Jerusalem? Seven. Back the other way. Have you done a 14-mile day? Those are a lot harder. But off they go. Apparently, it was enough, right, to propel them on the way. My guess is the path back didn't take as long. And so there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said that the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. And they're like, what? No way. He appeared to us too. And we're like, how is this happening? Uh, I don't know. Then the two from Emmaus tell their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. It would seem to me sometimes that this resurrected Jesus does not proclaim his resurrected self properly. If I was unjustly crucified and then raised to life, I would not begin by going on a seven mile walk. I would not begin by walking with one unnamed Disciple and one kind of named disciple. And when I'm like, you guys remember Cleopas? You're all like, no, because we don't remember Cleopas or his unnamed wife. And I just love that that's how Luke tells this whole story. That's where resurrected Jesus shows up. And part of my hope and vision for like this story today is that it would just stir our hearts and our imaginations again. Like that it would settle there and, and burn and like, the best way possible, right? Like, is this what Jesus could be like? Because I find myself over and over again having to like reimagine the image of Jesus and learn who he really is. And this story just is so pivotal to my understanding of that. So without like overstating a bunch of things about Jesus, I want to share a few observations that I have about Jesus. Just like quick shots, right? Like Ah, yeah, it's just, it's so good. I, I think Jesus seems to be having fun in this story. And I think that's a great way to think about Jesus. He's a fun guy, right? He, he probably had great jokes. I mean, he did the whole kept walking bit. That was pretty funny. Uh, he's a, he just seems to be playful, even in the seriousness of it all. I love that Jesus appears to those who weren't the main characters of all of this. Two seemingly unimportant followers got his first appearance as the resurrected Jesus, which is kind of, that's where Jesus goes, right? To the, to the unknown, to the uninvited, to the cast off to the side, to the ones who don't have high and lofty positions. He's like, hey, let's go for a walk. According to Jesus, as he teaches, it seems that the, the loving liberation of God has always been there and always been the plan. 
This thing that God's always been saying, and sometimes it takes great patience and care and connection for it all to unfold. I love that Jesus is not just about transferring information, though. He wasn't just like, you guys need to get this in your head. Instead, he desires to hear from us, to be with us, and to join us no matter the direction that we're moving. Jesus isn't in a hurry. He walks, he eats, he listens, he teleports. <laughs> it's easier to not be in a hurry if you have the capabilities of teleporting. <laughs> Just saying, a little unfair, but... And I, and I don't know how to shake this sometimes because the story's so often been framed that the disciples are walking the wrong way, Right? And it just seems that Jesus is willing to walk with us, even if it might be the wrong way. Which then, and I'm not always sure what to do with this, it poses this quizzical question, is there a wrong way if Jesus is walking with us? And that helps me reimagine Jesus, too. And the last thing is it. sorry, that got me emotional for a second. <laughs> The, the resurrected Jesus insists on personal encounters over public announcements. He is a Jesus who seems to avoid hype and grandiosity. He's so chill, <laughs> but he's so straight to the point, too. So when this whole story ends with these two disciples, Cleopas and the person who doesn't even get a name, turning around, and we go, why did they suddenly recognize Jesus? And I mean, we've wrestled out a few different ideas. And I think just tied up into that most succinctly is they recognize Jesus at the table and in his wounds. Like those are the two things that like culminate in the recognition of Jesus. And I can't help but then think, we're going to begin reflecting on our own lives. Like where has Jesus gone unrecognized in our lives and the life of our church community and our neighborhoods, our families and our jobs and the schools and the places we go. And could it be that he longs for us to meet others so that we might meet him at a table and in the wounds that we carry with us? I'm always intrigued by the idea that these two disciples met Jesus along some like wrong way path only to run back to where they maybe needed to be at that point and to the people they needed to be with, right? And if I was to tell like my own spiritual biography a little bit in this, uh, I had this moment actually on Easter where we were singing the song, which I don't actually know the names of any songs ever, uh, but you have rescued my life and I'm never going back, that song. Uh, and, and I was thinking about how this idea that I'm never going back, like ca it captured me. Like, what am I never going back to? And I think that it kind of, for me, encapsulates so much of like what's at the heart of the community of Kaleo, like there's certain things I'm not going back to that I was taught in maybe more of those white evangelical grandiose spaces. But why just that? 
because I want to be in places where I can find myself at a table tangled in this place where our wounds are all present and we're trying to navigate how to be these people that God's always invited us to be. Which is a, sometimes a strange thing to reflect on as a pastor who's pastored in those spaces. And it's not lost on any of us that there's not a gazillion people in this room. And yet, like, that, that's what I don't want to go back to, wanting those sorts of things to tell us that what we're up to is of God. I want to meet the Jesus who wanders around with us sometimes unrecognized and is like, yeah, let's eat. So that's the Jesus that I'm following, and I don't want to go back to the other versions that sometimes have uh, excluded others or made uh, gods out of other things. And so uh, maybe you want to join Jesus on that journey too. I think many of us in this space this particular day are saying, yeah, we, we want to. And I think that's a beautiful thing too because it makes me think of what those two disciples ran back to. A space that people were ready to receive them, to be together and hear their story. And it drew them even more into the future that actually is some of the reason we're sitting in this room right now. So that's enough words from me. Um, Breton, you can come on up and maybe just give Jesus the final word. This unrecognizable, loving, silly, shows up at the table and reveals his wounds type of Jesus and just maybe sit in this moment for, I don't know, a count or two and say, Jesus, what, what would you want to say to me? What would you want me to know this evening? And then we'll sing a, another song together and then we'll eat some food. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for <laughs> revealing yourself to us in some form or another in our time so far this evening, and I pray that you would continue to do so as we end our time by singing and eating together, Lord. And I, I pray that um, we would begin to see you in, in places and in people where maybe we haven't recognized you before. I pray that you would meet us at the table, as our wounds are on display at times, I pray that you'd still help us learn and discern how and when to share sometimes the wounds that we do carry. Um, certainly you don't mean for us to always just be flinging those around, but I pray that we would find places where they're, they're welcomed, received, and cared for. I pray that we would maybe even just for, for the week ahead have this image in our in our head and in our hearts and in our spirits of, of you, Jesus, who asks us questions to learn what it is we're experiencing and then who desires to remind us that he's always been the loving God of liberation, who desires to be with us and set us free, who's willing to walk slowly seven miles in the opposite direction. 
We thank you that that's the kind of Jesus you are. Love you in your name we pray. Amen. For more information about Kaleo, visit kaleophx.com or follow us on social media at kaleophx.